You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, grab your Bibles if you would. Look with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. This is Palm Sunday. How many of you know what happened on Palm Sunday? Uh, Jesus what? He rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Mike talked about this earlier. Uh, They were crying out, Hosanna, save now. What they were speaking of, save us now from the Roman government, from this oppressive rule. They thought Jesus the Messiah was coming to bring the overthrow, to establish uh, himself as the ruler of the nation of Israel. And Jesus actually had other plans. His plan was not to bring rescue through the throne. His plan was to bring rescue through the cross. And so as we are moving into Holy Week, Friday, Good Friday being the day that we celebrate the death of Jesus, I wanted to spend some time this morning bringing you back to the cross and talking about the why of the cross. Several years ago, 16 to be exact, my wife and I were sitting on the couch watching TV one evening when we heard this blood-curdling scream come from our son's room. It was one of those screams that stirs uh, fear in the heart of every parent. If you're a parent, I'm certain you probably had at least one of these experiences uh, as you were raising your children. But we heard this scream and we leapt from the, leapt from the couch. We ran into our, our son's room. And as I entered his room, I saw that our two-year-old son had somehow trapped himself between the top bunk of the bunk bed and the wall. And he couldn't get out. And his play, somehow he had wedged himself in. Um, he was fearful. He was frustrated. He couldn't free himself. I think he actually thought the bunk bed was eating him. I think that was kind of what was happening in his two-year-old mind. No, it, it wasn't that complicated. My wife and I slid the bunk bed away from the wall a bit, lifted our son out of his predicament, out of his dilemma. Um, he was right back to playing. Everything was wonderful and okay. But the predicament our son had got himself into, he couldn't get himself out of. He was trapped. The dilemma was is he needed someone to set him free. He needed someone to rescue him. And as I was reflecting on that event that happened some 16 years ago in our home, I thought, you know, today we have the same problem that my son had. And that we're in a predicament that we can't solve on our own. We're trapped and we cannot rescue ourselves. Just as my son needed someone to come to his rescue, so we today need someone to come to our rescue. Look into your notes this morning. The crisis of humanity is this. We have a problem we cannot solve. We're we're separated from God. And here's the issue. We have no solution to our sin problem. As hard as we try... We simply cannot rescue ourselves. But what we need is we need someone to come to our rescue, someone to act on our behalf, to do for us what we are not able to do ourselves. And that's exactly what God did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world. Jesus came on a rescue mission. And the means of the rescue was was the cross. Now the cross, the cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. An odd choice, don't you think? I mean, reflect on this for just a moment with me. I think it's strange that a tool of torture would come to embody a movement of hope. I mean, the symbols of other faith are more upbeat. You have the six-pointed star of David. You have 
the crescent moon of Islam, you have the lotus blossom for Buddhism, you had a cross for Christianity, an instrument of execution. I mean, like, would you wear a tiny electric chair around your neck? Think about it. I mean, would you suspend a a gold-plated hangman's noose on the wall? Would you print a picture of a firing squad on your business card? Yet we do so why we do so with the cross. Why? Because it's our symbol of rescue. The cross today is our, our symbol of hope. It's the means through which God confronted our greatest problem. I mean, think about the design of the cross. Max Licato states this so well. I put it in your notes. He says, speaking of the cross, he says, one beam is horizontal, the other vertical. One reaches out like God's love, the other reaches up as does God's holiness. One represents the width of his love, the other reflects the height of his holiness. The cross is the intersection. The cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. Is that not an awesome statement? God used the cross not only to reveal his love for us, but through the cross, he brought rescue for humanity as the price for sin was paid. Now, if you think about it, the cross is really a paradox. I mean, what was a place of rejection and, and pain and death for Jesus has brought us acceptance and gain in life? What appeared to be the end really became the beginning. You know, the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross were these words It is finished. It is finished. When he spoke those words, he was not speaking of the end of his life. He was not speaking of it is finished, like life has gone out of my body. Then when Jesus spoke those words, it is finished, this is what he was saying. My redemptive mission has been completed. What I came to do to bring rescue for humanity, it has been completed. The price has been Hey, that's what Jesus was saying as he took his last breath, as he hung there on the cross. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote about the power and the provision of the cross in Colossians chapter 2, our text for the moment, morning. It's, it's here that we discover not only what happened on the cross, but what's been made available to us today. I want you to listen to the words that Paul wrote. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. How? By the cross. Paul makes it clear that the cross was not a place of defeat, but it was a place of victory. It was through the death of Jesus that death and sin were defeated. But Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross really makes no sense. Like it doesn't add up if we don't understand first that we were spiritually dead. That's what Paul says in Colossians 2.13. He says, you were dead in your sins. In other words, there was no hope. 
Not only were you dead in our sins, but we would also know is that we were slaves to sin. Sin held us captive. But we needed someone to set us free. We were a slave to sin, and it was our sin that separated us from God. Ephesians 2.12, Paul says that we're separate from God and without hope before Christ. The cross makes no sense until we really come to understand that we couldn't save ourselves. Listen, if you could have saved yourself, then Jesus dying on the cross was useless. Really, no, there was no need. I mean, if you're like super whoever who can save yourself, then, then Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. But listen, you're not. I'm not. But we needed, we needed to be rescued. We, we, we couldn't save ourselves. That's why Jesus gave his life on the cross. In the few minutes I have left, I want to talk with you about the cross and what it means for us today. I believe that far too many Christians view the cross as a historical event that will take them to heaven rather than a current event welding everything that they need to bring heaven to bear on earth. It's in the cross. The cross is critical and central to our faith. If you can think of it like this, the cross is kind of like football. Let me use a sporting analogy this morning. How many of you know in football, in the sport of football, the football determines everything? Right? Let me think we meet for a minute. Football, it determines everything. First downs are measured by what? Where the ball is placed, right? Where the ball is placed on the field. Touchdowns are measured by whether the ball, the football, crosses the plane. If the ball doesn't cross the plane of the goal line, then what? It's not a touchdown. Out of bounds is tied to your control of the ball and its relationship to the feet of the person that's holding it. Like where the individual carrying the ball steps out of bounds, that's where the ball is placed. Fumbles are determined by who grabs the ball. Field goals are measured by whether the ball goes between the uprights. I mean, men fight over it, rejoice over it, strive to possess it. In other words, the football's like the main thing in football. If the football's missing, there's no football, right? There's no game. It's like people are gathering in a stadium to watch nothing happen because there's no football. The football is the main thing in football. In the same way, the cross is the main thing in Christianity. With no cross, there's no Christianity. With the cro- without the cross, there's no rescue. Without the cross, there's no salvation. Without the cross, there's no hope. The cross is the main thing because it's there that God brought provision and rescue for our lives. So why the cross? Let me give you four statements really quick. First, the cross is the place where God's love is revealed. It's there that we get a picture of God's love for mankind. It's there that we get a picture of God's love for you. The two verses that summarize this best are Romans 5.8 and John 3.16. In Romans 5.8, notice how the scripture reads. Would you read this with me? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how did God demonstrate? How did God reveal his love for us? Not a trick question. It's it's right on the screen. Let's read it again. Would you read this with me? Romans 5, 8. It's really important that you get this. 
Let's read it again. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did God demonstrate his love for us? He sent his son to die. John 3.16. Most of you are familiar with that verse. Probably the most popular verse today in all the Bible. says this. For God, for God so loved the world, he gave. God so loved you that he gave. Yeah, I think the cross tells a story, and this is the story that it tells. The story of God's love. See, I I believe that it was not the Roman soldiers that put Jesus on the cross. I believe it was not the nails that held him on the cross. The scripture says that he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have created his own rescue mission. His escape plan. But he didn't. What held Jesus on the cross? I believe it was his love. His love for you. His love for me. So if you ever wonder, if you ever wonder about, man, does God love me? Maybe you're in a hard place, a difficult place. God's not acting the way you thought he would act. And you're struggling. Does God really love me? All you have to do, friend, is look to the cross. Tells the whole story. I think first the cross makes a statement. It's the statement of God's love revealed for mankind. Secondly, the cross is a place of substitution where sin is atoned for. Two significant words here. Substitution and atonement. It's a a place of substitution. It's interesting that on Palm Sunday, the Sunday that we're celebrating, we know that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Do you know which gate he entered as he made his entryway into Jerusalem? It was the sheep gate. Why would it be called the sheep gate? It was the sheep gate for years and years that individuals had brought their lambs seven days before the Passover to have their lambs inspected so that they could be the sacrificial lamb that would be shed for the covering of the sins of the people. It was that very gate that Jesus came through seven days before his crucifixion to be presented. You remember what John wrote as he introduced Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? That takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus comes through the sheep gate to present himself because he's the Lamb that's going to be crucified to cover our sin, to die in our place, to bear our penalty. Simply stated, Jesus died so you don't have to. He died in your place. He bore your penalty. He bore your judgment, my judgment. Let me see if I can illustrate this with with an analogy. Let's pretend this morning. How many of you are into pretending? Are you with me? Let's pretend this morning... For some of you, this may be more than pretending, it may be reality, but you're driving down the road, you get distracted, you're on your cell phone, you shouldn't be, but you're on your cell phone, you come into a 35 mile an hour speed zone, but you're still going 60. All of a sudden, there's blue lights, there's this sinking feeling in your gut, 
the officer comes up and tells you you're going 60 and a 35, you're hoping he's going to be merciful, he's not, he writes you a ticket. And because you're going 25 miles over the speed limit, it's not just you can pay your fine, you have to appear before the judge. And we know that's not good news. Until, until you discover that the judge happens to be one of your buddies. It's George Bell. <laughs> For those of you who know George. And so all of a sudden... It goes from being really bad news to really good news because this is your buddy. And you're standing before your buddy and you're guilty, but he's your buddy and he's the judge. And so you go with expectations like somehow he's going to do like his judge thing and this thing's going to go away. But because the judge is a good judge, a good friend, but a good judge, he says, wow, 25 miles over the speed limit. Guilty. Your fine's $250. And you're like, what? Hey man, what happened here? Like, you're my buddy. You're supposed to do the judge thing. And kind of somehow it goes away. But then your friend gets down off of the bench. And he walks down and he pulls out his checkbook. And he writes out a check for $250 to cover your fine. What did he do? He just took on your penalty. He just... For your judgment. He just paid the price for that of your fine. And you leave the courtroom innocent because of what someone else did for you. So that is the picture of what Christ did for us, what he died in our place. Roman, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it so well. Listen to how the scripture reads. But God made him. Oh, wrong one. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, But God made him, being Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, simply stated, this is what Jesus did. He took all of your mess and you got all of his righteousness. How many would agree you got the better end of the deal? Christ was our substitute. He died in our place. Not only our substitute, here's the second word. The cross was only a place of substitution, but it was a place of atonement. To atone means this, to cover or resolve a debt so that reconciliation is possible. It's to solve the issue, to pay the debt, so that restoration can happen in a relationship. And when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He paid a redemption price. I said earlier we were slaves to sin. Sin controlled us. And we couldn't, we couldn't buy ourselves out of slavery. So what did Jesus do? He made atonement for, he covered the price that we might be bought out of slavery and brought into a place of freedom, a place of relationship with God. Peter speaks of this transaction, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Somebody says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But notice the price that was paid, the redemption price, with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. What you and I were bought out of slavery because Christ paid the price. He made atonement for. So the cross is the place where 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 our sin is atoned for, where Jesus died in our place. But it doesn't stop there. The cross is also the place where Satan and death were defeated. I don't know if you're aware of this this morning. Possibly you are, but you and I have an adversary. We have one who's standing against us. Jesus kind of gives us a a bit of insight into our adversary in John 10 where he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So what does your adversary want to do? He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy in your life. He wants to make you miserable. He wants to separate you from God. We have an adversary, but here's the good news. Jesus defeated the adversary through the cross. We see all of this beginning to play out and all the way back to the beginning, Genesis, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, everything's good. We have Adam and Eve in the beginning as God created them. They're in a perfect place called the Garden of Eden. They're enjoying a perfect relationship with God. Why? Because there's not, a, there's not the presence of sin. Genesis 2 is good. Genesis 3 is not so good. Genesis 3, we have the adversary coming, and he tempts Adam and Eve. They take the bait. They rebel against God. Sin enters the human race. So now we have a sin problem that was not present before the adversary came and deceived Adam and Eve. Now what? They're separated from God, and they're ashamed. They're hiding from God because of this sin issue. And it's interesting, in the midst of their failure in Genesis 3, we actually have God saying, hey, I'm going to bring redemption. And I'm going to kick the tail of the adversary. That's my paraphrase summary. So in the midst of the failure in the Garden of Eden, we have the first prophetic statement of what's going to happen on the cross. Genesis 3.15 reads like this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush her head and you will strike his heel. He's speaking of Jesus. So what's happening here in Genesis 3.15 is really a picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Not only did he die in our place to bring salvation, but through the cross, Jesus has defeated the adversary. If you look back to Colossians chapter 2 verse 15, Paul kind of summarizes what happened on the cross. He says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, what's he speaking of? He's speaking of the powers and the authorities of hell. He's speaking of your adversary and my adversary. He's saying through the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. And notice what he did. Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. How? By the cross. So we have an adversary today, but listen, our adversary has been defeated. In other words, we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live under condemnation. Why? The adversary has been defeated through the cross. He no longer has authority to hold you captive against God's plan for your life. So we still have an adversary, but we have authority and victory through the provision of Jesus Christ. It's really important you understand today that the adversary has been defeated by the provision of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, 
Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says this, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the works of the evil one. To make them null and void in your life and against your life. So through the cross, through the cross, Satan, our adversary, has been defeated. So lastly this morning, the cross... It was a place of torment that brought us peace. It was a place of pain for Jesus that's made way for us to have peace today. You know, Roman crucifixion was a means of executing criminals. It was horrifically painful. What we know, what we know from Scripture is that Jesus was abused. And Jesus was beaten by the Roman soldiers. But perhaps the real power of the crucifixion was the public humiliation and the shame that it heaped upon the one enduring it. Jesus would have been stripped naked and then hung on a cross, exposed to the elements for all to see. Crucifixion was a way for the Roman government to proclaim, this is what we do to criminals. It was an act of unbearable pain, an act of humiliation. It was this that Jesus endured So that you and I might have peace. Colossians 2.13, looking back to our text, says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. See, we can be at peace with God today because our sins have been forgiven. Really simple. The thing that separated you from God being your sin has been forgiven Through the provision of Jesus Christ. So today you can be reconciled. You can be brought back to right relationship with God. You can be at peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Paul makes this statement. Therefore since we have been justified through faith. Notice what do we have? We have peace with God through, through the provision of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, here's the good news. You can be reconciled in relationship to God. You can have the barrier of that which separates you from God removed. And today, you can be in relationship with the God who spoke the world into existence, the King of the universe. You can can enjoy relationship with Him through the provision of the cross. Not only can you be at peace with God, but here's the second part of it. You can have the peace of God. The peace of God. Paul wrote of this peace in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, in the peace of God, notice the peace of God. Not peace with God, but the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, available through your relationship with God by the provision of Christ. You know, this past week, I've walked with three families through the death of loved ones. And it's been difficult and painful, especially for those who said goodbye to folks that they dearly love. Deep grief, deep sorrow, um, just painful, hard. But as I've walked with these families, each of these families through these situations, but what I've been amazed of is that the peace they have in the midst of the pain, 
the peace they have in the midst of the sorrow. There is sorrow, there is grief. Why? Because great love was shared among family members. And when death comes, well, there's grief. But here's the good news. And even as I was talking with a man on the phone yesterday, he says, you know, Pastor, I don't know how to say this, but my daughter's not here today, yet there's this calmness, there's this peace that I have in the midst of my pain. What was he talking about? He's talking about the peace of God available to us when we walk through the stormy places of life. We don't have to be unrattled. Why? But we have the peace of God. It passes, surpasses all understanding. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the good news today, through the cross, you can have peace with God. And you can have the peace of God to guard you in your life. So the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus, hear me, it's not just a historical event. It's the event that has forever changed the course of humanity. If you think about it, the cross was a place of rejection that we might be accepted. The cross was a place of hatred that we might experience love. The cross was a place of pain for our gain. The cross was a place of death that you and I might have life, abundant life, and the promise of eternal life. That's why we celebrate the cross. That's why we call Good Friday, Good Friday. It wasn't good for Jesus, but it was good for us. Why? The rescue mission was completed. What was lost in the Garden of Eden, Jesus came to restore through the cross for your good and for mine. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today for your great love for us. The love that was so great that you didn't want us to be separated from you. So you did something radical. You sent your son to die in our place to to bear our penalty. God, you were just. You couldn't just turn away and say, hey, sin, no big deal. No, the, the penalty had to be paid. That's why you sent your son. The one who was without sin became sin so that we might be forgiven. Can we celebrate that this morning? And in this season, as we're moving into Holy Week, oh God, as we reflect on your provision, Lord, I pray, Lord, that it would be that that would bring uh, praise and celebration in our lives because of the cross. We thank you today that we can have, that we can be at peace with God and we can have the peace of God to navigate us through life. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org. 